welcome everybody to The Business Podcast, where we pour out weekly business lessons from entrepreneurs and business owners from around the world. I'm your host, Super Joe Pardo, and my guest today is making his dreams come true by getting people outside and connecting to nature. Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are right now, I need you to give a big, warm welcome to our guest, Tom Moulier. Woo! Thanks. Welcome, Tom. I appreciate it. That's like the most enthusiastic entrance I've had yet. That's awesome. I don't know if you were expecting that because nope. I, I know I'm a little tired, but... That was great. <laughs> Tom, could you get started by giving some background about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, my name's Tom. I'm married to my wife, Kara. We've got three kids. I got an eight-year-old daughter, Olivia, a six-year-old Emily, and a almost two-year-old Theo. Uh, you know, I'm born in France, kind of went back and forth between the U.S. and France as a kid, uh, studied at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, lived in Costa Rica for a while where my first daughter's born. Um, I, you know, I've got a variety background for business, uh, from corporate America to young startup to kind of middle of the road company, um, uh, you know, working for myself and then back to corporate America, you know, it's, you know, Georgia Pacific capital one and companies you've never heard of. So quite, quite a variety of background, but you know, the, the true thing about myself is I find my happy place when I'm outdoors in nature. Um, and that's kind of how I trekkers kind of came to be was for me to find a way to, to spread that joy, uh, in my search to create a million man, woman and child army, uh, focused on, uh, the love of the outdoors and preserving what we have. Wow. So that is, that is quite a background living in many, uh, different countries, uh, from growing up till now. Um, do you, uh, how, how old are you currently? I'm 36. Thirty-six. Okay, and you have a two-year-old. That's awesome. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. You. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a one and a half-year-old. I'm only thirty-one, but you know, it's it's uh, it's a it's an adventure for sure. I mean, you have an older kid, so it's. <laughs> it's yeah, but I. F- it's where I'll probably be at that point. But too. I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's definitely not easy. Um. Okay. So let's let's go back to uh the jump that you decided to, to when you decided to make that jump from like, okay, I'm working at like capital one. I'm working on all these different companies. I have this very diverse background growing up in different uh, countries and, and uh, your accent. Well, first of all, let's start with your accent. Cause your accent does not sound French. Um, it, 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 I, if I had this, uh, I don't know where, where, where did the accent come from? Well, you know, when you learn a language as a kid, uh, which they say is the best time to learn a language, um, you know, I immigrated, I was one and I moved back to France and I was seven. So I go to school in the U S and then I'd come home and have like two to three hours worth of French school at home. Um, and you know, as a kid, you just, you, you learn to talk like a local. It's, it's just the way it is. It's the way our, our, our brains are wired. So Whenever you have kind of bilingual people who have no accent, it means they spent a large part of their childhood in both of those countries. Mm. This, I mean, that's why they say that our kids should be learning languages at the age of three, like they do in most other countries, instead of, you know, ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would agree. I would agree. Um, so, okay. So let, let's, let's fast forward from there to when – when did you make that decision that you were going to start your own business? Well, I was lucky. And I was lucky because the decision was kind of made for me 
Um, I was at Capital One uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and um, I was there for three years. I was leading the entire analytics team focused on the customer experience for all of our contact centers. So basically crunching numbers, understanding both qualitative and quantitatively how customers viewed servicing on their credit cards, specifically their high-end cards. Um, and I was doing really well, uh, really you know, killing it. We were changing things the way that Capital One viewed uh, servicing, the way that the agents um, service customers from you know, un- understanding who the customer is, servicing them ba- uh, based on their needs, et cetera. And they're like, hey, Tom, you, know, you want to keep climbing. You know, you're on the fast track. You need to move to Tampa and run a call center there. So, okay, so I got to have office experience. So I came down to Tampa to do that. But when I came down, three months later, they bought, Capital One bought HSBC US Card. So just gigantic portfolio of users on the subprime side. And what happened was they were $80 million over budget. And the way that you deal with that is you slash heads. So I was in Tampa where I am now for a year. And they're like, Tom, you know, we want you to go back to your old gig in Richmond um, because I don't know if we're going to have a job here for you. I'm like, well, wait a second, guys. You just moved me here with two young kids, my wife. That was a difficult move, you know, and now you're asking me to go back again. I'm like, guys, I can't do that. And they said, okay, well, then we don't have a job for you. Um, We're sorry. And because we're sorry, here's six months severance. And on top of that, we'll give you some BS job uh, as, you know, basically more severance. And I'm like, okay, well, I appreciate that. So when I say that the decision was made for me, that pushed me out the door to finally attempt something or to start thinking about something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. So as I'm sitting there five hours a week working for Capital One, I had another, you know, 60 hours that I feel needed to fill up. And so on day one, I'm looking for jobs. On day two, I'm looking for jobs a little bit less. On day three, I'm looking for jobs even more less and starting to work on this business plan and then informing my wife, you know, I'm not going to go get another job. Um, this is really what I want to do. I, I, I want to start this outdoor adventure company uh, to bring the passion of the outdoors to, to, to those who don't yet experience it. Uh, we're seeing this big cultural shift in, in, in America where we're doing less and less outdoors and our skill sets decreasing. And I really want to bring that joy and love back to humanity in the U.S. because without it, we are incomplete as human beings. Um, since, you know, if you think about it, we've been an, in, an outdoor society for millennia and we've only become an indoor society in the last 150 years. I mean, we used to go to the bathroom outside. We used to do laundry outside. We used to live outside. And we had a roof just to, you know, some type of shelter to sleep under. Uh, but that's really changed. And uh, with that, um, the way that we view our connection to nature and um, has really changed as well. We didn't used to take a, a gazillion multivitamins that we have to do today. It's because we used to get what, what we needed from the environment around us. <laughs> so, Okay. Um, what, explain exactly what, what iTracks or iTrackers is and like what it, what it provides. Yeah. So, you know, this is also part of our journey. You know, we've pivoted a a couple of times since we started and first launched in December of 2014, but it's always been the same thing. It's just the way that we're delivering on it has changed and it's changed dramatically in the last six, uh, six weeks. And I'll, I'll talk more about that, but iTrackers is essentially a vehicle to allow people who don't usually get outdoors to get outdoors 
by removing a lot of the barriers that we feel to outdoor adventure, right? We don't have the skill set we used to. Well, we'll teach you. We don't have the gear. It's really expensive. Well, we have it all and we provide it for you. Um, and we bring, you know, vetted guides and instructors to kind of meet with the consumer to provide an amazing outdoor experience in the form of a camping trip, uh, an awesome hike, uh, an unbelievable fishing uh, event or, you know, uh, outing um, and uh, learning the basics of paddleboarding and kayaking and being able to then take that and, to do, and do tours of the mangroves and learn about the nature around you. So in a nutshell, iTrekkers connects customers to the outdoors by coupling gear, guides, and we use technology to make that happen. So we use technology to get you outside and, <laughs> and off of your technology. Well, anyone that knows me knows that I'm not a big outdoors kind of guy. Um, but I, I think, um, I think that's really awesome. Now, now does in, included in that, is that, um, your, 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 when you say camping, do you still mean like a tent or are we talking like pop-up trailer or like it's a, just full on trailer? It's a great question. So a trailer isn't really camping. It gets you outside and it provides you with that shelter. So if I had unlimited funds, yeah, I'd probably have a fleet of little trailers all, all over the place. But no, I'm, I'm actually talking a tent. So what we do is when you book a camping adventure with us, we are giving you a location. You show up with what you want to eat, drink, and a sleeping bag. And we have already set up for you your entire campsite, your tent, the mats, the chairs, the cookware, the tables, the wood, the fire. Everything is there ready for you. And we have a guide present to walk you through all of the gear that you have, how best to use it, how to use the propane stove, how to use all of the stuff. And if, you know, for extra comfort, he can actually stay further down the way, but yet be there for you if you need them. Uh, they'll, they'll even cook food. They'll teach you how to, you know, start your own fire. And it's all about that education to the outdoors minus all the hassle, right? Because one of the worst parts about camping is leaving. Camping is super fun, but when you got to make sure you clean your gear properly, store it properly, and that that is a long process and a long headache. We take care of that for you. Setting everything up, we take care of that for you. If you set your tent up in the wrong location, you're going to get flooded if it rains. You're going to get it burnt down and full of holes if you put it too close to the fire or in the wrong wind direction. You know, I mean, there's a lot more quote unquote science that goes into setting up a campsite, and we take care of that for you and teach you how to do that. Well, that that is helpful. I mean, that would uh, remove some of the barriers that I have when it comes to camping. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about uh, some of the first steps you took to get started. Once you were like, okay, I'm not going to go get another job. I'm going to, you know, figure out what this business looks like, and then I'm going to act upon it. Yeah. So the first step I did was to really kind of think back and understand uh, what I thought the problems were from a consumer standpoint. Like, why are people not getting outdoors? So I went and talked to a lot of people that I knew were not outdoorsy, such as yourself, and be like, you know, what's, you know, what is hindering you from getting outside more and doing more cool outdoor activities uh, in nature? Uh, or, and why are you not doing these things? And, you know, do you not understand the benefits, et cetera? So once I kind of felt I had a good grasp on that, it was like, okay, what do I need to create? What vehicle do I need to create? And how do I want to bring that together? 
And what I chose was a dual marketplace platform. So a site that had independent vetted guides on one end and consumers on the other and eye trackers in the middle, kind of like an Airbnb. You know, you've got owners of units on one side, people who want to go vacation on the other, and Airbnb created a platform to bring them together. That's what we originally were doing with iTrekkers. Um, and it was a hard fought battle. Uh, I had no dev experience, so ability to create websites. I can't code. Uh, and I was new to the whole internet marketing thing, which you would think are the kind of the three key things you probably need in order to create a tech company. Uh, but I had a vision and I had an idea of what I wanted it to look like. Uh, and so what I needed to do was find the right partners to make that happen with. And I learned the hard way that when you know nothing about a subject, you can't just trust people who sound good and show you pretty things. And I got screwed and I lost half a million dollars of my seed money off the bat within six months and had to start all over again. My first launch in December of 2014 was heinous. The product was gross. The usability UI UX was terrible. It was way too overthought and not just generic enough to let the user dictate how we were going to move forward. And so completely scrapped the platform, found new partners that, you know, now I knew a lot more, um, and then went and then went ahead and relaunched in, um, uh, April of 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean that, that definitely, um, you know, trusting the, the wrong people and especially with when you're talking about that kind of money, uh, is, is tough. Now, does your platform include uh, like an app at this point or was it just a website? So at that point I did include an app, which was another mistake, right? Cause when you're creating a business from scratch, either you create it in an app or you create it in a web app, which is essentially a website that, that moves depending on the screen. Um, and we chose to do both at the same time because apps were cool and we were like, well, people are also online and, you know, so not making that hard and fast decision really cost me. Um, because I'm, I'm building on two different platforms. And then once we change something here, you know, on part a on the web, we had to go change something in the app. And so we were spending double the, the amount of development dollars, um, for thing, for, for something that had no traction. It just made no sense. Um, so we, you know, even today we've scrapped the app and I mean, it's still there on the app store. Don't go download it. Uh, we, you know, we scrapped the app, uh, and focused solely on our web platform say, hey, let's get this right. And once we have this right, we can bring in an app that doesn't actually mimic what our website does, but that complements from a user standpoint what the website does. Yeah, I think it's so important that people, because everyone likes to jump for that app, but I mean, those apps get very, very expensive uh, in a hurry, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars even. Um, and, and that's before you start figuring like, oh, we have to match the web, you know, the website as well. So then, yeah, like you said, you're doubling it up. I, I, I wish I had met you sooner, Tom. I really, really <laughs> wish I had met you sooner. Um, but so I, I want to I wanna find out, like, what uh, did your – how did your family take it when you were like, I'm not going to go get another job? My wife was more difficult, um, but the rest of my family were very supportive because I kind of come from an entrepreneurship background. So my family in Europe is very active in entrepreneurship. Um you know, way back in the day, uh, right after World War II, my uncle and his cousins, I mean, there were like eight of them. They started eight different companies that are doing well today and have kind of created the bedrock. So my background is entrepreneurship. Uh, so they were very supportive of that. Um, well, the difficulty was the background is in brick and mortar and I was going tech. 
and tech needs a lot more money up front. Um, so there are some fears on that end about how are you going to raise the capital to make this happen. Um, and for my wife, it was really like, you know, this all sounds great and good. We've got two kids. Um, you know, starting a business is hard. Like we're going to be gone all the time. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of did something unique as I started a business with clear rules and as to when I would work and when I would not. So for example, I pick up my kids from school or one of my kids from school every day and I drop off, uh, them, you know, I drop them all off in the morning. Um, so if I want to work before they get up, that's fine. Uh, but come five 30, I'm done. Um, and that to be honest is a difficulty. It's a choice that I made that in, that in the end, I forced me to hire someone else to help me, um, before I probably needed them. But, uh, that was the only way to make this happen in a way to, to, for my wife to be really supportive uh, and for me, to be honest, to have, spend that time with my family, because you can get lost really, really quickly down the rabbit hole. Um, ooh, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And before you know, it's 10 p.m. and you've, you know, you haven't spent a single second with either your spouse or your family. Yeah, hey, I've, I've been there, been there, man. And uh, so, Tom, I'm curious, what what's your hobby outside of running the business and, and maybe even outside of getting in, in touch with the outdoors? Well, uh, I play ice hockey. Um, you know, I've played for a lot of my life. Sports was a big part of it. Uh, soccer goalie for like 15 years. And, uh, but in hockey, you know, I found a way to hit people and get out all of my negative energy, uh, in a legal way, uh, which has been nice. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> like I'm a defenseman. So whenever you're in front of my net, that's my net. Um, and it's, you know, all joking aside, I, being active is important. Um, and, uh, you know, hockey allows me to kind of lose myself in a physical activity that is a healthy for me and be mentally healthy for me. And that's, and that's important to have that balance. Yeah. I, I mean, I play hockey as well and I, I can uh, attest to that being a defenseman myself, <laughs> you know, six foot two, uh, the, there's not a lot of guys that are bigger than me out there um once you're on the skates and and being able to push them down so uh, that's awesome uh, <laughs> yeah, i love it um so i just want to remind everyone real quick that they're listening to the business podcast i'm super joe pardo and i'm interviewing tom Molay. uh did i get that name right Molay? M- M- it's close Molier. Molier. yeah oh man i always mess <laughs> always mess it up don't worry tom about what's been your biggest roadblock to overcome so far? The biggest roadblock to overcome has been getting consumers. So if you remember earlier, I told you about, you know, the assumptions that we made as to why people weren't buying. Well, we missed something. So our assumptions were people aren't buying and going and and spending a lot of money to get outdoors. I mean, you're talking, you know, from $50 for a paddle tour to, you know, $400 to go fishing you know, $200 to go camping. Like these are big ticket items. And we thought, you know, people aren't doing this because it's hard for them to do it. Uh, they don't have a hassle free way to do it. Uh, and they also have fear and anxiety that we overcome by becoming this trusted brand, uh, since we offer a hundred percent money back guarantee. So that was kind of the big thing. Like, Hey, we vet our captains, we vet our guides, we bring the best people in, um, with the best gear to give you the best possible experience. Makes sense, it's logical. But what we really missed is the fundamental emotional 
unease associated with getting outside. For example, a mom wants to book a, a basic four-hour fishing trip. So that's the, that's the least amount of time you can book is a four-hour fishing trip. We call it like an inshore half day um, to go out with her for her kid's birthday. Her kids say nine. And so it's her, her husband, and her two kids, and they're going to go out for a fishing for her son's birthday because that's what he wants to do. She doesn't book the trip. She does research. She finds the best company. She talks to us. She calls us. She has a million questions. She doesn't book it. Why? She has the money. She has the want, but yet she still doesn't buy. And what we figured out is as simple as the following. Where is she going to use the bathroom? You're smiling and, 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 and you know, you're kidding. But at the end of the day, her feeling uncomfortable about four hours, she's probably going to use the bathroom at some point. There's no bathroom on these boats because it's inshore. It needs to get skinny, right? So these are smaller boats, flat bottoms, so they can get where all the fish are. And she is uncomfortable having some random person stare at her while she's using the bathroom, say, in a bucket or over the side or has to get in the water. And that's why she's not buying. A father with his two, you know, three kids wants to go camping. He doesn't have the gear. He doesn't have the knowledge. He does the research. He talks to us. He loves the 100% money back guarantee and he doesn't pull the trigger. Why? Because he's unsure how little Johnny is going to fare never having slept elsewhere than his bed. Is he going to have to pack up at 2 o'clock in the morning because little Johnny still won't go to sleep and he's crying and whining because he's, there's something scary outside? Again, it's that emotional little fear that we're not overcoming because people don't understand what it is they're actually going to do. You can draw it. You can make a beautiful video, which we have plenty of. You can do all of those things. But until they actually have that experience, they don't know. What we hear most from people who actually take that chance is like, wow, that was so much cooler and easier than I thought. Well, what are you really trying to tell me? You're really trying to tell me that all of your fears and anxieties that you had created in your brain about doing this were unwarranted. And that's what's created this massive business model shift that we've gone through over the last eight weeks which is basically event-based marketing. So we took our big trips that we have and we made those the aspirational goal and we've created all of these little mini classes. Think about it like the outdoor university, a 101, a 102, a 201, a 202, a 301, and then boom, you're ready to go on your four-hour trip. And we broke it down and we made it really cheap or free in some cases like we're talking like $10, learn how to fish, how to hold a fishing rod, how to bait a hook, how to do all kinds of things. Learn how to paddle, how to paddle, how to stand up on a board. People weren't doing tours because they were afraid other people would make fun of them because they had never stood up on a paddleboard before. Yet, give them a beginner's sup lesson. We teach you how to fall. And now people are like, awesome. It's made for me. I've never done this before and it cost me 10 bucks. Okay. 30 minute lesson. By the end of 10 minutes, they're standing up and they're paddling around like, this is so easy. 
and then we take them on a one hour journey and then we take them on a two hour journey and then we take them on a four hour journey down a river and then aspirationally we're telling them go target this two night paddleboard adventure in the Everglades where you're going to camp and you're going to paddleboard like we're like we're giving them these massive goals for them to reach and that's getting people excited we are now instead of just getting people outdoors we're teaching them the outdoor skills they need to get outdoors themselves and that's transformational and nobody's doing this wow not even like uh was it cabal calibs cat Cabela, uh, REI, Fast Pro Shop. No. Yeah. They do seminars. No, like REI does some of this. Uh, They all do like a water purification class. Like, so Uh, if you go to your REI store, they have events, but like. That's pretty, that's still pretty advanced. Like, I got to get outside first to to need said skill. Yeah. So for us, like, that's a 201 course. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, Yeah. 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 Totally. But first, it's like, hey, Let's get you outdoors for an evening with your family and let's roast some marshmallows and I'll teach you how to light a fire. And you know what? It's going to cost you like 20, 20 bucks for your family. Come out. We'll have some, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll teach you on the ground. We'll, we'll have fun with some stuff. We'll roast some marshmallows. Then you can go home and sleep in your comfy bed. But while you're there, we'll show you what our tent looks like. We'll show you what a campsite looks like. We'll show you, hey, there is a bathroom. A bathroom tent, right? We got we got one of those. We got a bathroom tent, and we also have a porta awesome. potty on some of our land. But like the point is oh, to wow. reduce the fears by showing people what it is they're 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 going to have access to, and explaining to them and having them feel and touch. And that's and that's the movement we made. This massive pivot. I mean, I was spending forty thousand dollars a month marketing PPC ads, right? So people were looking actively looking, you know camping trip in blank or a fishing charter in Sarasota or Jacksonville or whatever. And we were trying to steal people from that pipeline of people who are already searching. And then we were basically reselling the lead to an independent guide or we were using our own staff and our own gear. And now we said, you know what? We don't want to be this third party distributor. We want to be the one holding people's hand throughout this journey and helping them aspire to something greater as they connect through nature with their group and themselves. And that's been this big shift. So now essentially we're an event marketing company marketing. So before you were a broker, essentially before we were kind of like a broker across the state of Florida. Yes. In our own backyard, we have our own stuff. It's all of our own, you know, it's all our, our our own gear and our guides are on payroll. Um, But essentially we, we had moved so far away from what we were trying to do because we had to expand and be this tech company Um, but now we just need to figure out a model that works to get people on this journey where now we're collecting more money from them. It's in smaller form, but instead of spending that, that money on marketing, we're spending it on on our own staff and our own time to then get them to those events that we do make money and we're breaking everything. A two hour fishing charter does not exist because the cost to put a boat in water is the same as a two hour fishing charter. Well, you know what we did? One of our classes is a two-hour fishing charter. Learn how to fish on a boat. And this way, mom's not afraid because she can hold it for two hours. And then she'll be able to see and ask questions about if I needed to go to the restroom, where would I go? Oh, well, there's a dock right over there with a marina, and we can easily pull into that if you need to use the restroom next time. You see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the, the paddle boating through the Everglades, uh, how, does that come with like – 
alligator repellent? Yeah, it does. It's called a paddle. <laughs> so, <I've> been... <laughs> so, so there's an area of Florida called the uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the Ten Thousand Islands, and it's really salt water. So there's very few gators in that. So I'm not saying we're going to go paddle through the actual El- Everglades Swamp, you know, um, but we probably do that in kayaks. Uh, but you know, the, the, the thing is you're going to paddle from Island to Island amongst the mangroves and all of that. And the truth is gators don't bother you. I I mean, the, I just envisioned that like the first time a gator does come up to you, uh, I dropped my paddle cause I was scared. <laughs> and next thing you know, you're like, your only weapon of defense, uh, is gone. <laughs> well, you know. We're still trying to figure out the kinks of the aspirational trip, uh, and you may have highlighted one of the things that may hold people back. Because, I mean, that that is like, to me, like, I, just, you know, seeing one come up or, or around could be enough to be like, you know, freeze you up. Like, it's all those things that, like, everything's cool until, the, you know, the house is on fire. And if, if you don't have the plan and you don't have the, you haven't been in the situation before. The house on fire. You don't know what to do. Uh, you don't know what you're going to grab first or do first. It's very true. So you're going to be like, boop, <laughs> there it goes. It's very true. But, you know, <laughs> um, most. That's uh, what the waiver's for. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, most outdoor accidents that happen, they're typically professionals who forget something. Like they forget to tie a line or because they're so used to doing what they do. Um but very rarely does an outdoor accident happen to newbies because they are so aware, especially ones that are with guides. Uh, it's just it's it, it almost never happens because you know if there's risk, you know you minimize risk. Like we don't want people's first time to involve getting hurt. So, you know when the guy wants to wield the hatchet at the campfire, you know at the campsite, you know he's going to have a lesson on how to use a hatchet first. I know that firsthand because I have a, a scar and my kneecap has like basically like an indentation in it from my first hatchet experience of trying to cut wood with hatchet when I was six I put it right into my kneecap and it stayed there until my dad like jimmied it out so but you know most outdoor adventure that are the most memorable are the ones that you face some type of adversity that you thought you couldn't overcome Uh, and those are some of the greatest memories and some of the most significant bonding experiences that, that, that someone can have with other, with others around them. You know, the first time a bear visited in my campsite, I'll never forget. You know, and he, well, I mean, <laughs> listen, listen, I was a camp counselor. I was 17 years old or uh, no, I was 19 years old and I had a bunch of 13 and 15 year olds with me and we had crossed a river in North Georgia and I was hiking with a gig, which is basically a broomstick with a three-prong like metal thing to catch like frogs. I was hiking with a gig, and a fish flashed before me at my feet when I was crossing a river. And I slammed my gig down, and I actually got the thing. You know, so now I've got this large-mouth bass speared through the skull up in the air. The kids are freaking out. They thought it was the coolest thing ever in the world, right? The mistake I made is I put it in a plastic bag, and I attached it to one of the kids' backpacks. Well, the fin of the fish cut through the plastic bag as it was moving, and then it dripped bloody guts down this kid's backpack for two miles to our campsite. So basically, the welcome mat laid open, and then we ate the fish that night but left the carcass out instead of securing it like we should have. 
And so we ended up with a, a black bear in our campsite eating the rest of the carcass because we'd given him basically like the little breadcrumbs trail all the way to where we were. Normally, he never would have come into our campsite. But again, 19 years old, didn't think about that correctly, you know, should have secured it, should have buried it, should have had it in a bag 100 yards away up in the tree, which we didn't do. But that that memory will live on with those kids for the rest of their life. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Uh, I mean, the, the, I don't, I don't get like so I don't get out much. But the last time uh, we went, I, I used to only do, uh, and it's been a while since we've done it. But we used to do one kayaking trip a year in the red in the Pine Barrens. And the last time we did, they probably shouldn't have even sold like rented us the kayaks because there was a. <laughs> like tornado warnings coming through the area and it ended up hailing while we were out lightning all around us. And it was, we didn't know what the heck to do. In fact, we were lucky cause we only got about halfway through the trail and, uh, and, and they happened to be like picking up boats like halfway through, but had we had just been a little bit later or, or, or a little too soon before they got there, we would have had to go all the way to the end and, and we took the long trail. So it was, it was yeah, it was pretty scary. I mean, lightning was coming down like all around, like right where we were. Yeah, that's it someone who cares. Pretty, <laughs> it, pretty bad. it seems intense. I mean, you know, this is a, was. again a reason why you know you need to make sure that who you're going out with or getting gear from cares more about you and your experience than they do about money. Because, yeah. you know, yeah, it was not safe. No, it, it really because it wasn't even that long into it. It was only like three hours, I think th- three or so hours. Um, I don't even think we stopped to have lunch before we were like it started to, you know, hail. It, it, <laughs> and it was like it was like, OK, like we need to just keep paddling. We need to just keep going, keep going, keep going. So, well, congratulations yeah, for making it through that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't fare so well. My, my friend, so like one of my friends is an Eagle scout. So like, he was like, Oh no, don't worry. Cause he's the one that like, you know, likes to put these trips together. So I'm like, ah, you know, it's like, we're, we're going to die. It's okay. It's all your fault that you pulled me out here. I could have been at home. Not, not in, not in the middle of the pine barrens, a bunch of amongst a bunch of lightning rods. Um, you know, whatever. But, uh, but Tom, I'm curious, what was your childhood dream growing up? <laughs> Especially since growing up in multiple countries and yeah. back and forth. Yeah, like I I wanted to be an astronaut and be a fighter pilot, kind of like most kids. Uh except when I grew too tall. So I, like I'm 6'4 and uh you know, when I was 13, I was like 6'2. Um so you know, at some point, my dream was shattered when I would not be able to eject out of a fighter uh, plane. Uh, and my buddy, uh, who actually became uh, a chopper pilot and went to five fighter school and all that, uh, he stayed shorter and uh, he he actually lived that dream. Um, but uh, yeah, so so that that was my dream growing up. But what about it made it uh, so exciting for you? The adrenaline, the exploration side of things, pushing myself further and harder than most. Hmm. Which, if you think about it, is kind of what entrepreneurship is. There's adrenaline, there's the highs and the lows and the disappointments. Uh, But the biggest thing I think that 
the difference between entrepreneurship and that kind of dream uh, is that in entrepreneurship, you need to embrace failure and be okay to fail. Whereas in that dream, if you fail, then you don't become what you want to be. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, the, the, the great part about being an entrepreneur is that failure is just really a stepping stone. Um, and you need to embrace that. Like I know that my new model might fail. And if my new model fails and I cannot then scale, um, then we'll probably have to shelve this project. Uh, no matter how hard that is, but that motivation to not shelve it keeps me going to really do the best I can every hour of every day. Um, but I think that's, that's really a big part of entrepreneurship. And with all that said, what are your dreams of the future looking like? Um, <laughs> well, I'd like to see this be successful. Um, I, I, I believe I want to stay in the outdoor space no matter what happens. Um, I want to create a 1 million man, woman and child army that believes in sustainable development. Um, you know, that kind of brings together the outdoors with the way that we're kind of moving as a society, um, and changes really what people do, uh, both from, you know, the standpoint of a wrapper in their pocket to the voting booth. Um, now by no means am I a, uh, you know, tree hugger or anything like that. Um, uh, and it doesn't matter to me which party you come from, but when the Florida government, you know, when 73% of the Florida population votes on an amendment that demands an amendment to the constitution that demands that the government spend X dollars on acquiring more public land, um, to put that aside for future generations. And the government turns around and flicks you the bird and says, yeah, I'm going to use this money to, you know, build more roads and, and, and do whatever I want. Um, at that point, I want my million man, woman and child army to kind of revolt and be like, no, you're not, you know, that's not what we voted for. Um, and, and today that doesn't happen. We just roll over. Um, you know, you know, everyone knows recycling is important, <laughs> right? Um, but next time you have a party, have a trash can that's closer to the party and then have a clearly defined recycle bin that's like 10 feet further and see what happens. Everyone there knows recycling is important. 90% will throw it in the trash can instead of walking 10 extra feet to put it in the, in, in the, in the recycle bin. We know it's important, but it's not worth the effort of 10 feet. And I'm trying to change that. Well, I, I think you are definitely well on your way. Um, ha <laughs> no, I, I th is that is that actually a real vote that's coming up tomorrow? No, it, it happened last year. We we oh, it happened last yeah, year. Yeah, seventy three percent or seventy four percent voted for that as an amendment to the constitution. And instead of enacting the voters' wish, they said, "Well, no." I mean, I, I don't even know how that's legal, you know. And then you know, St. Pete dumped. I think 40 million gallons of, of partially treated sewage into the bay because they hadn't spent money on the infrastructure. And, wow. and, and everyone was in uproar until the city said, well, it's going to cost you an extra 10 cents of, of whatever. And then everyone was quiet. So now that their kids are swimming in a bay that has 40 million gallons of partially treated sewage. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, hey, I live in a, you know, in a state that, uh, you know, has, uh, what was it, concrete, 
uh, uh, filled uh, radioactive waste in in just out you know off the coast. It, it, it like they put it in a barrel and then they filled it like they put it in concrete and then apparently it, it floated. So so they shot at it with uh, with machine guns from a plane. Oh, that's great! To sink them to sink it. Well, yeah, I mean, cause... yeah, it was, it was apparently it's like back in the seventies, oddly enough. It, it yeah. definitely makes sense, right? So this yeah. is the protective it's barrier. Sure. So now let's break the protective barrier to sink it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they shouldn't be like trying to put radioactive waste at the bottom of the ocean anyway. But uh, no, I, yeah. no. But it, it's, <laughs> you know, like the point is this. Uh, I've created a business that, that brings my passion for the outdoors that I personally have to newcomers who don't have that passion yet, but know it's important to get outdoors. They know that they want to get outdoors. They just don't know how to do it. We call them the zero to 25 percenters. So it's my passion, their want, and then this bigger, more aspiring goal to just bring that awareness to more people. And, um, you know, a story I, I I like to tell is, you know, my grandfather had access to 100% more raw outdoor nature than my father did, uh, which is insane if you think about it. And then my father had access to 100% more raw outdoor nature than I did. I mean, if you look at pictures of Cancun before ni- the, 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 the 1960s, all it was was this beautiful beach on a barrier island. And now look at it, right? And then, you know, what's good if that trend continues – and I have access to 100% more than my kids do, then what's left, right? So, you know, look at what just happened in Houston. Look at what just happened, you know, severe weather, global warming, those who believe, don't believe. It doesn't really matter if you believe or not. But when you take a prairie and you fill it with concrete, water now no, has nowhere to go. It's, it's, it's that simple. So forget everything else. If you take land that is used to absorb water and you put a layer of concrete over it, where does it go? It it goes into your sewer system, and when it rains more than your sewer system can handle, it floods your entire city. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Tom, how can people connect with you? Well, you can connect with me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, <clears throat> you can connect with me Facebook, you know, iTrekkers.com. Uh, you can email me, Tom Mollier at iTrekkers.com. Um, check us out. Look at a little bit more about what we are and what, and what we're trying to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more than open to have more conversations about this with, with, with anybody out there who wants. I, I will have those all in the show notes at uh, superjoeparto.com. Tom, it's been awesome having you here on the show, and I'd love to have you on again. Uh, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up here? Yeah, you know the only, the only last thought I have is I challenge you, Joe, to get outdoors uh, next weekend and to do something for an extended period of time that makes you semi-uncomfortable. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Just, I, I mean, I've been doing more since having a daughter, like having a kid. It's because I know this this stuff is coming. Um, more like because I know that she's gonna want to be outside. 
she loves being outside now as it is. So I know it's I know it's coming. Well, hopefully one day there'll be an eye checker franchise or if that's how we expand or whatever. Uh, they'll be in your back door, you know, or, I'm sorry, your, your backyard ready to help you get outdoors with you and your daughter in the span of say five years. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I hope so. I really, I really do. Cause I don't have all those skills, uh, to make all that happen. Um, all right. Well, if you've been enjoying this episode of the business podcast featuring me, Super Joe Pardo, if you could just do me the favor of sharing this episode with someone else that would get something out of it. Hopefully you did with Tom uh, or one of the previous 317 episodes or whatever it is at the moment um, or by the time this comes out. <laughs> just just share the show with somebody that you feel it could get something out of this. I would really appreciate it. Tom, thanks again for taking the time. I really, I really appreciate you uh, taking your time to be on the show today. Oh, sure. Thanks so much, so much for having me, Joe. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Business Podcast featuring Super Joe Pardo. Get more business content at superjoepardo.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on The Business Podcast, send an email to joe at superjoepardo.com. The Business Podcast is copyrighted to 234 Solutions, LLC.